It would have been a great video, just to let you all know. Actually, I'll tell you what the video was about. It was about the fact that God has called us to be holy and to be set apart. And it ought to be a prayer for each of us that God would truly set us apart. We live in a world that is filthy. We live in a world that is constantly in turmoil and division, where we are identified by our political parties, by our sexual preference, by our social platform, by our religious passions. But we are to be set apart from our world but not by those things that I just mentioned. We are to be set apart by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Today, I want to begin a new series that is entitled Spirit-Filled Evangelism. This series will focus primarily on the presence of the Holy Spirit, but also the fact that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are certain things that will naturally flow out of us. For example, we will become living testaments to the Spirit of God. We will be able to share the good news of our faith with others. Today, I want to focus specifically on the presence of the Holy Spirit, but I'll also pose a couple of questions for you Uh, regarding sharing your faith with others. But first, let's look at what the scriptures teach us about the Holy Spirit. It comes from John chapter 14. If I were to read the entire passage, it's relatively long, but really you could go all the way back to John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, and read through the entire chapter. Uh, But really today, we would be looking at John chapter 14, verse 15 to 30. Uh, I am going to Shrink it down for you because I have a lot to share with you this morning. And we're going to start with verse 15 and read through verse 17 to get us started. It says this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Then skipping down to verse 26, we get a little bit more information. It says, but the advocate, remember the one that he just prayed to the Father would come, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. These verses were given at a very volatile time for Jesus' followers. Much of Jesus' earthly ministry has already come to its conclusion, or is at least nearing its conclusion, and he has already begun to drop some not-so-subtle hints about what is about to take place. In fact, on three separate occasions, Jesus tells his disciples that he will be betrayed, that he will be crucified, he will be killed right before their own eyes, And then he will be resurrected. And while this is devastating news to people who have left everything, remember they left their families, their jobs, they left every comfort that they had at home. They've left everything and this would have been devastating news for them. Yet John chapter 14 offers a word of comfort. Jesus says that although he will be taken from them, he gives them a promise. Although he will be killed, there is the promise that they will not be left alone. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And then later in verse 26, which we just read, it identifies who that advocate is. It is the Holy Spirit. 
I want to look at three things this morning regarding the Holy Spirit. First is the person of the Holy Spirit. Second is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then the third one, which we will spend more time in, is the proof of the Holy Spirit. But first, let's begin with who is the Holy Spirit? The first thing that I will note from this passage is that the Holy Spirit is actually God himself. Without going too deep and running the risk of creating even more confusion, let me simplify my understanding of the Trinity. The Trinity is the term that Christians often use to refer to God. The Trinity includes the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are a few occasions where we see all three of those characters involved at the same time. For example, at the baptism of Jesus, we see Jesus in the water and there is a voice from heaven that speaks and says, this is my son whom, with whom I am well pleased and the spirit descends in the form of a dove. There are occasions where we see all three that are present, but usually we only see one or perhaps even two. It should be noted that we are not talking about three separate gods, but rather three individuals who together make up one God. All three parts of the Trinity serve different purposes and their roles are relatively clearly defined. But what makes the Trinity so unique is the fact that they all work in unison together. In other words, it becomes difficult to discern where the work of each person of the Trinity begins and ends. Again, I told you I would try to simplify this for you. Here's the way that I understand it, and I probably got it all wrong, but since I'm the pastor, you get to listen to me. In the back of my pickup truck, I have a net that is intended to hold everything in place. I can put things back there and drive down the highway at 35 miles per hour, and I don't have to worry about anything coming out. I can drive down there at 55 miles per hour, and I don't have to worry about anything coming out. I can drive down, actually, someone else can drive down there at 75 miles per hour, and they don't have to worry about anything coming out because that net holds everything in place. Well, that net is actually formed by four cords that have been weaved together. If you were to pick any one point in the middle of that net and try to identify which cord that came from, you likely would not be able to do so. And the reason is because they have been weaved so tightly together, it's hard to tell where one cord begins and one cord ends. The same is true with the Trinity. In many ways, it is the Holy Spirit that does things that often we give God the Father credit for. Often, it is Jesus himself. We consider him in the physical form, and we can identify his work in the physical. But there are times that even with Jesus, we are told that he was filled with the Spirit. So often, they kind of get weaved together, and it's hard to discern where one begins and ends. But the reality is... The Holy Spirit is just as much a part of the Trinity as the Father and the Son are. I would suggest that often within the church we have glorified one or two and left one to be a little less admired or appreciated. For example, we see God the Father as our creator and we recognize how great God is. We see him as being all-powerful. And then Jesus we see as the Savior, the Messiah, the one who died and was resurrected 
And it's almost as if God the Father and God the Son have taken a position of preeminence and the Holy Spirit is just along for the ride. Yet the reality is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all are important. We see this evidenced in our passage today. Consider that in John 14, 6, remember I said if you wanted, you could go all the way back to verse 1. Consider that in John 14, 6, Jesus refers to himself saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. This is probably one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament, yet as Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit in verse 17, he refers to him as the Spirit of truth. This is a direct reference to what he had just stated about himself just a few moments before. In the very same chapter, Jesus is the truth. Yet now we're talking about the Spirit, and it is the Spirit of truth. We know that this is truly God, the Holy Spirit's work. We also know that just as we, are prom- just as we know who the person of the Holy Spirit is, we are given a promise of the Holy Spirit. The beauty of this passage is that Jesus is promising that his Holy Spirit will come and dwell within all those who choose to obey God's commandments. Now, I will note that there are two ways to take this passage that I just read, specifically verses 15 through 17. The first suggests that the Holy Spirit is promised only to those who would choose to obey God's commands. After all, Jesus says that if you love me, then keep my commands and I will ask the Father. It almost seems as if we are looking at an if then, if you love me, if you obey the commands, then I will ask the Father and he will send an advocate. But the second way of taking this verse is that true obedience to God's commandments only becomes possible by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what we see here is a reference, if you love me, obey my commands, but understand you're going to need the Holy Spirit in your life to make that possible. If you do it on your own, the odds are you will fail. But with the Spirit's help, with the Spirit's presence in you, you can overcome anything. I will confess that I'm not really 100% sure which of these perspectives is correct. Neither do I really think that it matters. I know that some people are saying, well, it does matter. Listen to this. We see that in both scenarios, we have the responsibility to pursue Christ with everything that we have. And if we do that, The Holy Spirit has been promised. He will come and he will equip us for service. And if we fall short as we seek Christ with all our hearts, it is the Holy Spirit who serves as our advocate. Aren't you glad to know today that you have an advocate? Aren't you glad to know that you don't have to do this on your own? Because if you did, you're probably not going to make it. I tell you today that every person in this room who is genuinely seeking Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Jesus promised it. 
and he is faithful to keep his promises. So we have the person of the Holy Spirit, God himself. We also have the promise of the Holy Spirit given to all those who would pursue Christ. Now I ask you this, and this is where we'll spend the most of our time. What is the proof of the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5.22 gives us a list of characteristics that ought to be present in every believer's life. And these characteristics are all positive qualities that can show up randomly in other people, but they might not. And what I mean by that is you have some really good people that tend to be loving people, but they may not truly know Jesus Christ. You have some people who, they are just the happiest people in the world, but they may not actually have a relationship with Christ. You can have some of these good qualities, but you also might not. I've seen some individuals who didn't know Christ that they were as grumpy as can be. Actually, unfortunately, I've seen some who did know Christ and they seemed as grumpy as can be. But as children of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit... And some of you may not like this statement. As children of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit, then these characteristics will be present in you. These are not optional things that the Holy Spirit might give you these things. These are the fruits of the Spirit and they ought to pour out of that Spirit. I will touch briefly on just two of these fruits of the Spirit this morning. And I'll deal with the others in the rest of the series. But consider the fruits that are mentioned in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, depending on which version you're looking at, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I will tell you, some of these come really easy. Some of them, not so much. Some of these are things that they seem natural to us. Some of them we wish we had just a little bit more of. Look at the first one. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. This shouldn't surprise anybody. Remember that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all one. Remember that 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 reveals that God is love. Now, if the Holy Spirit and God the Father are the same, and God the Father is love, what does that tell us about the Holy Spirit? God is love. It only makes sense that as God the Holy Spirit makes his dwelling in your heart, that love would be the thing that flows out of your heart. And consider Jesus' greatest commandments. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked a question regarding which is the greatest commandment. It would have been easy for Jesus to simply identify one, and it would have made sense. But Jesus didn't. He chose two, and they weren't even on the original list. He said the first is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. And we can talk about those two greatest commandments all we want, but I want you to notice the common root in both. It is love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. He basically says if you keep those two commandments, you'll keep everything else. The whole root of God's message to humanity is love. 
love for God and love for man. This can show up in many different ways. It may be that you develop a compassionate heart for the homeless. Perhaps it's for the mentally ill or for the elderly. Or perhaps it's a burden for those who are addicted. Perhaps it's a burden for education for others. Maybe it's all of those things combined. These are all evidences of our love for other people. But be careful not to pat yourself on the back too quickly. Perhaps there are some questions that we should be asking regarding our love. First of all, who do we love? Is it only the people who love us? Does it include people who are different from us? Do we love people regardless of whether we're going to get something back from them? It's easy to say that we love, but is it, on, is it only when it benefits us? Another question, do we only love in regard to the temporary or do we also love in regard to the eternal? I told you that the title of this series is Spirit-Filled Evangelism. Evangelism is literally sharing the good news with other people. I know, we're told we're supposed to go and do it. Matthew chapter 28 is the Great Commission, tells us to go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to go, but I would suggest to you that as an act of love, we also ought to be going. You do know that everything else that I listed there was a temporary thing. Hunger, illness, addiction, they're all things that will last as long as this life lasts. But they will pass. That means that they're temporary. And I assure you that God is very much concerned with the temporary. James calls us to put our faith into action. He says, faith without works is dead. If you see the needs of another and you simply say, bless you, I hope you do well, and we go about our days, what good have we done? That is faith without action. God calls us to put our faith into action. He is concerned with the temporary needs of those around us. But I also want you to understand today that we must be just as concerned, if not even more concerned, with the eternal. Listen to me, God loves you and every person you'll come in contact with this week. In fact, God desires an intimate relationship with every human being. And as such, it is God's desire and his plan to redeem all of us. But as Jesus stated earlier, he's the only way. Remember what he said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What he was saying is there may be other people who say they've got a plan and they've got a way to get you there, but only Jesus Christ can truly get you there. Well, imagine for a moment that you had the key to eternity. As an act of love to those who need it, wouldn't you want to share it with them? Wouldn't you want to share this good news and this hope that nobody else can offer except through Jesus Christ. That is an amazing act of love. Now I go back to the question, how do we love? I'm glad that you're able to help people on the street. I'm glad you're able to love people in your family. 
I'm glad that you can be generous when you see a need on TV. But let me ask you, do you love the people around you enough to impact their eternity? How are you doing at loving people in your life? Perhaps you're loving those who love you. Are you also loving those who are harder to love? If not, why not? And now I got the really hard question. If you are not loving as Christ loved, is it possible that the Spirit of God does not truly live in you? Boy, that's an uncomfortable thought. Because we just assume, well, but I, I prayed that prayer. Remember when I was a kid, I went to the altar at VBS and I said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Surely the Spirit lives in me now. Does he? Where's the proof? Is it present in the way you live and the way you love? The second fruit that is listed in Galatians 5 is joy. Before I get into this topic, I'd like to preface it by recognizing that there will be times that people struggle with legitimate issues like depression or times that we suffer through grief or we simply become worn out and weary because we are overwhelmed with life. But I believe that joy ought to be an ever-present sign of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. I also would like to simply point out that I know I am about to step on toes this morning. So I will sort of apologize. You know how you watch the politicians or the athletes apologize for the things that they say? And actually, they never really apologize for the things that they say. I am so sorry that you got offended. That is not an apology for what I said. They're apologizing, you got offended, so let me do that this morning. I apologize that you're going to get offended, because I don't apologize for what I'm saying. But I do ask that you consider the possibility that what I am sharing is true. You see, I believe that if the Holy Spirit is truly present in your life, then these fruits, including the fruit of joy, will naturally flow out of you. And if... They do not flow out of you. Then perhaps you should ask whether the Holy Spirit is truly present in you. Again, I'm not talking about depression or grief. I am talking about the attitudes and the expectations that we display. Let me ask you, does your attitude display joy? Some of us assume the worst in other people and in everything. Some of us find it natural to gossip and to complain. Never mind the fact that Philippians 2.14 tells us to do everything without arguing or complaining. Some of us are clearly glass half empty people. Some of us can read an emotionless email and immediately picture in the back of our minds the bitterness and the anger that probably went into the one who was typing it. You see, we naturally lean not toward joy, but often toward bitterness. Some of us are so focused on all that's wrong with everybody else that we cannot simply appreciate the uniqueness of God's creation. The fact that some people think different than we do does not make them bad people. 
They are people who simply need Jesus Christ like everybody else. But for whatever reason, at times we become blinded by all of the other things in our lives, and we can become very negative people. Listen to me, the Holy Spirit's presence ought to naturally lead us to joy. And if that joy is so covered up by all of the other junk in our lives, then something is wrong. Consider how often joy is directly associated with the Holy Spirit's presence in the New Testament. Acts 13 verse 52 says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They came together. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 says, you become imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. There is a natural connection with the Holy Spirit's presence and joy that ought to flow from God's people. For far too long, the church has operated absent of the joy of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing wrong with a church that calls people to righteousness and to holiness. That's what I wanted to begin with with that video this morning, was the call for us to seek God's righteousness and holiness. But the idea that we have to leave joy behind as we experience that righteousness and holiness is dumb. As the Holy Spirit is present in you, joy ought to be present in you as well. Understand what I'm saying today. If the Spirit is present, it is only natural that you will be filled with both love and joy. I have one final thought before I close today. I want you to know that I was very intentional to group these two characteristics together. I do believe that as God inspired uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 to be written. I believe that God was intentional as well to put these two not only together, but on the front end. Because I believe that God's heart, everything centers around his love for mankind. That has to be the first thing. And the Holy Spirit, his presence ought to automatically cause joy to take place in us. I think that this church as a whole has an understanding of God's love very, very well. I think that we understand that we are surrounded by, I'm going to specifically mention Clemson students because sometimes there are reputations that come with the Clemson students. There are times that there is incredible ungodliness that occurs on the campus of Clemson University. Alcohol and drug abuse is rampant. Sexual immorality occurs on a regular basis. By the way, it is suggested that most secular campuses, that that description would fit almost every one of them. 
we recognize that we have this huge mission field that is sitting right on our doorsteps. And we want to be able to reach into their lives. We want to minister to them. We want to offer them this incredible hope that God will not only forgive them, but he will make a way for them to live truly in the freedom and the righteousness that God offers. That is our desire, and I believe that this church understands that. We have so many international families, specifically in these apartments close to the church, we recognize the need to be involved in their lives. We recognize that the love of God must go out from this place into this community, and that God expects us to be a part of that. But here's my concern. If we as a church express love to our college students, to internationals, to those in addiction, whatever group you want to include, if we as a church express God's love to them and we get them to actually show up to something, to a church service, to an activity, we have the uh, the Meet the Neighbors event that's coming up, and people show up to our church, or maybe they meet us in their communities, and we're spending time with them, just loving them. But they do not sense the joy of the Holy Spirit in us. We will do more harm than we do good. It is good that we love, but understand that these fruits of the Holy Spirit were not intended to act independent of the others. Just as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one and they work together as if they are weaved together, the fruits of the Spirit are not there for us to pick and choose which ones we like and which ones we don't. The fruit of the Spirit is love, but it is also joy. It's all of the other ones, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control as well. But understand today, And when the Spirit of God is present in you, love ought to be present. If it's not, maybe you need to stop and say, Lord, why isn't it? If joy is not present, why? Because I assure you, the Holy Spirit, if he is present, he will produce that fruit. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we are grateful for your Holy Spirit. We're grateful that when Jesus Christ gave his life for us, he did not leave us to fend for ourselves, but rather he sent his Holy Spirit to come and dwell in us. Father, we thank you today that you have promised to always be with us. To not only forgive us of our past, but now to empower us in the present and the future. And we know that that takes place through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray today for those who have been in the body of Christ, who have attended church all their lives. For those who come every single Sunday. But today, as we've talked about the presence of love and the presence of joy in their lives, they recognize that there is a void because the love of God doesn't seem to be so strong. Or the joy that you have offered seems to have somewhere dissipated. I don't know, maybe it's because of all of the other things that go on around us. 
We've become overwhelmed by life in general. We've had to go through difficult things. There have been mistakes that we've made, choices that we regretted. And maybe that love and that joy has somehow diminished, but we recognize today that if your spirit is still present in us, then those characteristics, those fruits ought to still be present. So we ask right now that once again you would fill us with your spirit. Give us a love for the people around us so that we can do more than just care about them, but we will care for them. Help us to truly show your love, not just by praying for them, but investing ourselves in their lives by introducing them to your eternal hope. Lord, I pray today that you would fill us with your joy. Fill us to the point that we're not just a little bit filled with your joy, but that we would have so much joy within us that we would begin to splash out on other people around us. Lord, I pray that the first thing people would see is the Spirit of God in us because you are the thing that has overwhelmed us. Lord, I pray today that you would restore unto us the joy of your salvation and renew a steadfast spirit in us. Lord, help us to truly experience the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I will tell you today that I believe the Holy Spirit desires to do great things through you. But he also desires to be used. One last thought that goes with this. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit's presence is there, but maybe we've not recognized it. Maybe because we've tried to push it aside, but the Holy Spirit says, I want to go. I want to work. I want to accomplish something. Will you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you? Allow the love of God to be shown through you and the Holy Spirit's joy to be poured out of you. I hope so. Thank you for being with us this morning. I will take a moment. I never recognize guests, except I did with Michael earlier. But my mom and my aunt are here today also. And it is a blessing to have my mom and Aunt Dorothy here too. I'm half tempted to have them get up and just say something just to mess with them, but uh, just kidding. It is great to have you with us. Go in peace this morning.